Before we get to today's show, let me tell you about HubSpot. Finding a service solution that helps you keep your customers happy can feel impossible. Like try to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at the networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. It brings together service and success together on one platform. With AI-powered help desk and chatbots to handle your frontline support tickets. So you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain. I am your co-host, Kit Bodner, and we are your podcast for all things growth today and tomorrow. I am joined, as always, by my friend from the other side of the Atlantic, Kieran Flanagan. Kieran, what is up, man? Uh, I have a really incredible development to tell you from where I live. So you know I love where I live, but I actually recently realized something unbelievable has happened. Tell me more. I can order delivery from the local Starbucks. (laughs) So you work in one room all day and now they just bring you coffee to that one room all day? Just to be clear to everyone, I don't drink coffee. So what I get is a decaf Americana with hot soy milk. No, No milk, no coffee, but I really do enjoy it. And so I was working and I was like, I literally don't have time to go to Starbucks. Um, And so I went on my Just Eat app and I was like, holy smokes, you can actually get coffee (laughs) delivered. Now, the delivery charge is more than the coffee. I was going to say, how did the economics of that working for you? Not good. Health-wise, it's not good because to spend enough money to get the delivery, I have to order something else. And I, well, quite usually order lemon cake. Oh, their Starbucks lemon cake is good. (laughs) I don't drink coffee, as we previously explained, but I, I can crush a Starbucks lemon cake. Oh, yeah. So actually, right after this podcast, Kip, I'm going to order a decaf Americano, hot soy milk, and lemon cake Starbucks. What up? I uh, am very, very jealous of that. So we have no money left. <laughs> it's all going to zero. But The economy might be in shambles, but I can have coffee delivered, he says. You live in a world where you can get a coffee delivered with a little bit of lemon cake. Like, what more do you need in life? It's perfect That's happiness, you, you know? It's, it's about appreciating life's simple pleasures, you know? Right. For everybody listening today, Kieran, we have a pretty amazing show. I'm biased. It's our idea. But we're going to talk all about leadership today. And you might ask yourself, well, Kip, Kieran, why are you talking about leadership? This is a show about marketing and growing. Well, the reason we're talking about this, the core take that you need to understand today is that in uncertain economic times, leadership becomes the most important aspect of marketing and growth. Why has it become the most important aspect? Because budgets change. Reprioritization has to happen. The whole world becomes much more dynamic and unpredictable. And in that, leadership has to absorb that confusion and pass clarity to everybody that you're working with. And that is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about how you do that as leaders of businesses, as leaders of marketing teams. I cannot wait to get into that. But Kieran, I know right before we get into our leadership topic, you had a pretty fun marketing example that you wanted to share with everybody to kind of give us a little dose of inspo before we go into the leadership. Yeah, I love what Andrew Gazeski is doing. He's the founder and CEO of MicroAcquire. So I love what they do for a couple of reasons. Tell everybody what MicroAcquire is, Kieran, just so everybody listening knows. Yeah, so MicroAcquire is a marketplace that allows founders to sell their businesses. Mm-hmm. So it's a marketplace you can buy and sell businesses. And for the most part, what they did was made bootstrappers like the hero of their story. Mm-hmm. I think at some point, I was watching the way they were doing branding because I thought it was kind of cool. They made kind of like VC-funded companies 
a little bit of the enemy bootstrappers, a little bit of the hero of their journey. I think they've kind of maybe reduced that a little bit, but I, Alex used to have some really fun shout outs about VC companies and VC funded companies. So I think he's done an incredible job for a smallish company. I'm not sure what size they are now, but a smallish company getting a huge ton of momentum on social and different channels through the content, the brand that they do. So shout out to that company. If you're looking for a company that has a really good brand and really good storytelling, I think you should follow them. But why I wanted to kind of just quickly check them out. Billboards, for the most part, pretty boring. What brands do a lot of the times in billboards is like comparison marketing, yeah. right? Like the famous version of that is like Pepsi continuing to compare themselves to Coca-Cola. If you want to do comparison marketing, better just go give your budget to the other company <laughs> marketing budget <laughs> nice. and just let them market themselves. Like I think comparison marketing is dumb. It's so dumb. Pepsi, every year that Pepsi have spent marketing against Coca-Cola, their market share has actually decreased. Yes. It's actually really interesting when you look at how detrimental that could be to your brand. Focus on yourself and what you do better. That is the moral of a story. Microacquire, they actually printed out the tweets of people who had sold their companies, like the real nice. tweets that people tweeted when they sold out their companies and actually put them on, I think, Times Square uh, or around New York. I just thought that was such a fun way to actually show like real customer lives being changed by the product that you have bought and just really simple. I love when things are just very simple, not overcomplicated, not given to a high, you know, large agency who try to like create some sort of weird messaging. Just like, hey, our platform changes customers' lives because they can sell their businesses through this marketplace. And here's what they actually thought the moment they had sold their first business or multiple business. And so I think it's a really good example of Brandon. I think they're a really good example of a small company who are making a lot of noise. Shout out to MicroAcquire. I think that's a really cool example. If you're listening, your takeaway there is don't make your competitors the hero of your story. Make your customers the hero of your story. Find the key moments in your customer's journey where they are the most excited about your product or service and capture that and use those moments to tell the story for you. That's exactly what MicroAcquire did. We love it. Right. Okay. Kieran, we're going to talk about leadership. And for everybody listening, Kieran and I, we value leadership greatly. We spend a lot of time talking off the pod about leadership and what it's like to be a great leader and what great leadership decisions look like. And Kieran, I know that you wanted to kick us off with some leadership lessons from Sundor Pinchot, who is the CEO of Alphabet slash Google. Give us a rundown of what we can learn from him. Yeah, I thought there was a really interesting discussion that happened over LinkedIn and Twitter recently where Sundar was talking about Google's famous mm -hmm. OKR model. Now, they did not invent the OKR model, predated them, but they definitely popularized it. Definitely. What is the OKR model? Well, actually, a really famous VC called John Doerr introduced Google to the OKR model. And what the OKR model really is, is you set out an objective, mm -hmm. I will, and then something, which is your objective, and then measured by these key metrics, right? very focused on outcomes. So let's just say that we wanted to say our objective is to build a media-driven demand engine. Then our key metrics would be something like monthly blog traffic goes from X to Y, monthly unique newsletter opens goes from X to Y, monthly academy course views goes from X to Y, media conversion rate goes from X to Y, conversion rate into demand for your products, and overall leads that we create from our media efforts goes from X to Y. So you have a very clear mission and objective, and then you have very clear outputs. So 
you know, historically that is very focused on the outcome. Mm -hmm. So what Sundar said on LinkedIn was that is really good for a company when they are kind of taking a lot of bets, like having moonshot OKRs. But when Google became much, much bigger, he realized that that focus on outcomes actually caused the PMs and the product organization to take less riskier bets, to make smaller incremental bets. And we talked about this in the episode we did with Hannah. He wanted to reward output a little bit more, right? The reason he wanted to do that was because when Google grew up and they started to really tie your kind of career to these outcomes, they realized that people became like more risk averse. The other thing is he said, you can't really control outcomes all the time, right? You may actually be in a bad economic climate like we are today. There may be other things outside of your control of sphere that actually happen to make that project unsuccessful, but actually the output, what you actually put into that project was real high quality. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of success. You thought correctly about it. Your execution was good. Everything about that was good other than these outside things that you had no control over. And he felt the pendulum has swung too far in Google. He feels like it swung much too much towards just the outcome. Mm -hmm. Like what is the outcome? Did it succeed? Did it fail? Versus like the time and effort that you actually put into something and how good of a job you actually did. And so I saw there was a ton of conversation that followed up on Twitter where people were saying, yeah, like OKRs can be detrimental to fast startups growth because they just focus on too much incremental stuff. I'll pause, throw it over to you, Kip. I know you hate only incremental thinking. What do you think of that? Uh, I, I have lots of thoughts as would probably be a surprise to nobody listening here. There's uh, a few things. This is a perfect reminder that in leadership, there is no perfect choice. There's no perfect model for measuring and driving accountability. There's no perfect team structure. There's trade-offs that you have to make given the conditions that you are in. For example, if you think about the OKR model you just talked about, if you are solving a predictable iterative problem yes. that isn't going to be much affected by macro conditions, it's a great model, you know, because you're driving really kind of clear focus around activities and how those activities are going to align with your goal. You're going to accomplish that goal. You're going to go and you're going to set the next level of objectives and, and key results and everything, right? So that situation, OKR is really good. That being said, we're about to move into a situation in the world where there's going to be a lot of macroeconomic noise. There's going to be a lot of change. A lot of companies are going to need non-iterative work. They're going to need to do new things and get more exponential, larger scale returns. They're going to need to go from not doing something to being really good at that thing versus doing something pretty well and being a little better at it, right? And so in that world, if you obsess about the iterative activities, you're never going to get there. You know, and I think of that world as a little bit more of a moonshot type of world. The classic example here is, you know, when President Kennedy in the U.S. said, we're going to put a man on the moon, you know, in the next 10 years. And you set this audacious goal right. and you send people chasing after that goal. What normally happens is you also normally give those people a disproportionate amount of time, resources, attention and things to accomplish that kind of audacious goal, too. And so you don't have... 10 moonshots, you have one moonshot, right? It's another way to think about it. And so as I think about the next 12, 18, 24 months when it comes to marketing, I think you are going to have to have a blended operating model. I think if you have core strategies that are going to be very iterative, the OKMAR model or other models similar can be really good tools. But 
you need a clear moonshot or two that you are going to go after. And if you slide in the OKR model into that kind of audacious goal, I think it's going to set you up for failure. And that seems to be like what a lot of the conversation around this topic was was about. Right. So I would love to get into the balance and thinking big and iteration. Just one thing on this post, if I was a leader, one of the things I would take from it is I do think everything needs a mission yes. and clear ways to measure that yes. mission. Heck yes. What I would take from this is the OKR model is not meant to be a performance evaluation no. tool. It's meant to be a mission evaluation tool, which is the thing I think Sundar is getting at, which is I could actually have someone that is performing really well, mm -hmm. like very high output, very intelligent, doing all of the right things. But their OKR is going horribly. Yes. So if I'm a leader, how do I like think about those things? Because we tend to look at your evaluation through the lens of your outcome. Yes. I think as a leader, your job is to reset the playing field for everybody. And so often, the detrimental version of what you just said is activities over results, where people just care about the activities. They're not connected to a result. A hundred percent. Right? That's the, the worst case yes. scenario. Busy work. The middle case scenario is kind of what you just outlined, which is like, oh, we're actually clear on the result. That result's important. But even in our progress of having the right activities, we are blocked in getting there in some way. Yeah. And what has to happen there is the leader has to step in and say, why are we blocked? Are there things completely outside our control? If so, then maybe we want to pick a new objective. Are we blocked because we underestimated the amount of time, money, resourcing, everything it is to accomplish this thing? Maybe we need to reallocate and make some changes there, right? But people, teams, and companies fail not because humans aren't smart and don't do good work. They fail because they are afraid of not achieving their goals and they go into risk mitigation mode mm. versus right. how can I do the best job? And they go into risk mitigation mode because they feel like it is life or death if they fail at that goal and that they have no flexibility or control around that goal. Right. If you're a good leader, what you're advocating for is you will actually reevaluate goals based upon changes yes. within the environment that are outside of your control. Like you should not just say, well, just keep going on and on. You should, as a good leader, you would dig in, get the context figure out why things are failing that are outside of that team's control and help them rework their goals or something is much more achievable. Yeah, on that, Karen, I want to chime in here. It's like, we, we, there's this old leadership trope of like open door policy. Then it became like a no door policy and everything. It's like, oh, come tell me everything. Like I want feedback, all that. And it's, just, it's always, I think, been kind of BS. What we're actually saying here is if you're going to have an open anything policy, it's an open goal policy. It's like, right. how do you make yes. your goals flexible and iterable based on what is happening in the world? And very stagnant and fixed goals also assume that you are perfect and you can estimate what's going to take and all the problems that you're going to hit ahead of time. And that rarely is the case. Right. Yeah. This whole, uh, you know, I'm a great manager. I love direct feedback. You can give me direct <laughs> feedback whenever you want. Like no, no one's going to no, give you no direct feedback. Like, you're their manager. That dynamic is really hard for people. You have to have other ways that you can get that feedback. The other thing around thinking big, and I'd love to dig in on this because mm -hmm. I get asked this question all the time, which is like, how do I know to think big or iteration? I think we both agree that iteration and incremental thinking will eventually kill your marketing because will, you will, will increment your way to nothing, like all marketing plateaus. So that thinking only if you get a team culture that just is very risk averse and incremental way to nothing, non-marginal returns. One of the places you can first start around how do I build my portfolio of think big and iteration, and it's a model that you and I have talked about a lot. I think it's a great model, which is 
demand constrained, awareness constrained, perception constrained. There's really nothing else that matters. No. You can have product constrained naturally. This is like very marketing orientated. I think you could also for PLG companies have product constrained. And then when you're in each of those buckets, do I need to make iterative gains or do I have to like completely rethink something? And you can only do, in my opinion, a big swing in one of those buckets at a time for most teams of certain sizes. Mm-hmm. And when you get yourself in trouble is when you're trying to like make large moonshot bets in each of those segments. So you have to truly understand where you are within those segments, where your biggest opportunity for gain is and where you can iterate your way to gains. Like I actually have a pretty good demand gen model. I know what I need to do. I just need to iterate and improve upon these things. But wow, like people just have the wrong perception of my brand. They know about us, but they totally miss represent what we do or they do not get the full core value prop. Mm-hmm. I have to do something within there that is very different that is a moonshot idea. How do you think about that? I completely agree. You have to understand what are my core blockers and barriers for growth. The, the, the problem is when you're on a marketing team or you're in a business, there's no shortage of good ideas, right? Good ideas are actually the enemy. What you need is to focus on the great and most important opportunities and then concentrate your ideas around those opportunities mm. because good ideas are just distractions because you might have a really good idea, but right. it might be for something that isn't germane to what you're trying to do right now. That's what happens is most ideas that are good are like, oh, this is good, but we should do this like five years from now, right? And when you right. say yes to that now instead of five years from now, it just creates so much distraction, so much confusion. You know, we've had a really good conversation about leadership so far. I think we talked about balancing iterative versus exponential kind of goals, priorities. Now we've kind of shifted into understanding like what are your key constraints? Saying no to things that don't help you solve those key constraints. The third thing I would want to bring up to kind of finish our episode out today, Kieran, is this notion of ownership as it applies to leadership. And I'm going to give you a really good example of this. So the women's national soccer team in the United States, one of the things about them, Kieran, is that they fought really hard for pay equity. And that was amazing. They fought for something else that was really interesting. The Players Association for the U.S. national team took control over their licensing rights to their own name, likeness, everything, instead of the governing body. And what happened when they had that ownership? They made a lot more money, Mm. right? They sold t-shirts, they had jerseys, they monetized in a much better way. One of the ways they can solve this like pay gap is by actually properly merchandising the work that they're doing. And that's an example of sometime as a leader, enabling folks to have ownership and own the problem will result in a drastically different outcome, Mm. right? Like that's the thing to take away here. It's like you had some people who were focused on making money, but they didn't get the money directly, right? Like they were trying to make money for these players and they got a cut of it, but most of the money went to the players. And so they cared, but they didn't really care. And once the players owned that and they got the lion's share of the money themselves and owned all of that, the incentives and the ownership were really aligned to go and make that happen. And that is pretty amazing. Shout out at Jason Keith on Twitter for sharing this with me. I thought it was really, really transformative in a lesson in leadership and how you need to give your team ownership and share the success of the work they do, whether that be through compensation, through recognition. There's lots of ways to do that. But I think too often as a leader, you try to own everything yourself, yep. you know, and in really relinquishing ownership is going to be a really key part of being a great leader in a growing organization over the next, you know, five to 10 years. 
isn't like leadership just how do you set up the right problems to solve, hire talented people that can solve those problems, give them the autonomy and resources to solve those problems, and then work to create a culture where they want to continue to solve problems so you retain them. Correct. And your job over time is to make yourself obsolete. That's, that is the whole game. Right? Like, if you do those things, you're going to be successful. Where do people struggle? I think people struggle with what problems matter. Yes. Like, prioritizing problems for people, crystallizing those problems in terms of why they matter to the mission. Like, here's the ones that truly matter, right? And there's hard conversations to be had because other people's work may not be prioritized in that way. That you actually give them the autonomy. This is what I see people do all the time in terms of most common managerial mistakes, micromanage, right? And there's just a way to manage people that you give a certain amount of trust. And then, yeah, you have to take trust back if that person is not meeting your expectations, but it's not really taking trust back. It's like helping them to level up to where you need them to be. But actually over time, no one wants to be micromanaged. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a single person I've ever met that enjoys that experience. And so your whole goal is to get that person to be autonomous and do the work that they should be able to do. And that's what good leadership is. Well, you nailed it. I'd like to give you a round of applause for that. But yeah. what I want to put that in even, try to put it in even plainer terms, that is part of your job as a leader is to understand the counterintuitive things because you can, because you have this macro perspective. You're further removed from the weeds and the details of what's happening, right? And one of the things that is counterintuitive is control. Mm. The more control you think you need to have, the less control you actually have, right? Like that is just truth about leadership because then you micromanage, people get frustrated, people still then just do what they want. And it's just like this really negative spiral. Whereas you use the keyword there, if you flip to trust instead of control and you set expectations, like I trust you to do these things, these very specific things during this period of time. And this is how you can use me as a resource. I want to provide this level of feedback, what have you. Then it gets very clear and those people can go and run and they know that they have your trust. And they also then won't feel afraid to come back to you and ask questions in the process because you basically set the norms of like, oh no, they want me to come back and ask these questions because they trust that I'm following the right path and I might have some questions that need input as we go along that. Right. I always think that people that kind of default to micromanage in people is because they don't trust yes. their own hires. Oh, man. The truth hurts like sometimes. Maybe they just aren't as confident in their own hires. That's why it happens. Now, are there times where you should be all up in someone's work? Sure. We've talked about the example of if someone is like just struggling. Yes, that's part of your job. You have to help them level up, coach them. The other time is, and I do do this. There's just going to be certain things where you think you have great perspective mm-hmm. and you can add a lot of value. And they're like the things that you just feel they're truly important to being successful. What I do and have done ever since that I get feedback, sometimes I used to get feedback like, oh, well, like you're just two in my work. I give context on why that's happening before it happens. Yes, yes. Hey, this quarter, this is the project that I really care about. I really think that I can add a bunch of value. This is how I'm going to work yes. within this project. Love that. I'm going to like be commenting on the memos. I'm going to be setting out some of the things that I want to see happen. I'm going to be setting up some workshops where we can like collaborate together. And it's no reflection on your ability to do these things. It's just more reflective of like where I think I should spend my time. I love that. And I think that's a valuable conversation to have. It's hugely valuable conversation to have. So Kieran, let's recap for everybody. I think we covered some pretty important ground. If you're a leader going into this next phase of uncertainty, like 
I'm of the belief that starting in March 2020, when the pandemic really hit in the United States, I thought it was going to be a five-year cycle till we get to predictability, not normalcy, but where things weren't all over the place at a skew. And so it means as we're talking with you today, we're halfway there. You know, we're halfway in that journey of uncertainty and unpredictability. Oh, thank this is important. God. Can someone put me in a hibernation tank for two and a half years and wake me up in two and a half years? I think this is an important thing to understand is that we're halfway along this crazy journey that the pandemic caused and it's creating a bunch of unpredictability. And in that time of unpredictability, we're suggesting that you as a leader do a few things. We're suggesting that you, first of all, understand what you're iterative priorities are versus your more exponential non-iterative priorities and have the right operating system for each. You know, that is going to be big and that's going to be important. Then we are suggesting that you understand what your core constraints for growth are and you focus your priorities and your team against those and you don't get distracted by good ideas that aren't good ideas for right now. And then we want you to think about relinquishing control and introducing trust. And having a clear communication model with your team around, this is how I'm going to get involved and this is how I trust you. We don't want you to micromanage as things get uncertain and things get tough. We want you to absorb that lack of clarity in the world and turn it into clarity for your team. And I think if you can do those three things, you're going to be an exponentially better leader over the next year than most people in this world. And that is going to allow you to be successful in your career. That's going to allow your business to be successful. And that is going to be pretty amazing progress. Kieran, what I miss... What do you think people should know? I was going to try to do a smart, don't be a micromanager, be a macro manager, but I don't think that works. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say the key lesson was to just have your Starbucks delivered. Oh, that, yeah, can we just wrap this up? Because I need so to lemon, be a great leader. If you want to be a great leader, Starbucks, lemon cake, <laughs> delivery. Let's go. But all seriousness, I think we'll, we will probably talk about leadership many more times on the pod because of what's what's happening in the world. And it's never been more important. And that is the thing that you need to know is understand it's not just about your marketing strategy and your skills. It's about your ability to lead and help develop and deliver on those through an amazing team of people. And you know what, Karen? I would love to hear people. If they have any leadership advice or leadership questions, yeah. I would love we, for you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We will shout you out. We will answer that. We will either share your advice or answer your question on the show. It will be amazing. We would love to hear from you on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review. Yes. I think the next 12 to 18 months are going to be one of the hardest times yes. to be a leader or it's going to be a difficult time to be a leader. So please help us understand how we could help you and leave questions in the reviews. We will definitely All right. them. That is our show for today, ladies and gentlemen. We hope that you enjoyed it. We will be back with you very soon for a new episode of Marketing Against the Grain. 